from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome to Work and Life, the conversation we have every week exploring all those things related to work and the rest of your life, your family, community, our society, your private self, your mind, body, and spirit. I am your host, Stu Friedman. I'm the founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and the Wharton Leadership Program. And now I run a management consulting and training company. It's called Total Leadership, and you can visit totalleadership.org for information on what we do to help people and organizations find harmony among the different parts of life while improving performance in all of them. It can be done. Yes, check it out, totalleadership.org. New episodes of the show you're listening to right now, they premiere when, uh, Thursday sorry, at 5 p.m. Eastern here on Sirius XM Channel 32. And you can follow us on Twitter at SXM Business. I am at Stu Friedman. Well, there is some light at the end of this long, long tunnel we've been riding through. Uh, it's now more than a year after the pandemic shut everything down. Many companies are announcing plans to reopen if the situation continues to improve. Some already have. If you've been working from home since last year and are wondering when and if you'll ever be back in the office, or maybe you don't want to go back to the office, or maybe you want some kind of hybrid model, if you're lucky enough to be able to negotiate something like that, what do you do as a, as a, a leader in an organization, as an executive in terms of setting up the new world of work and thriving in it? Uh, my guest today has just released a new book that addresses these concerns and more. Harvard Business School professor Sadal Neely's book is called Remote Work Revolution, Succeeding from Anywhere. Yeah, it's, it's the book for this time. You have to read it. Um, professor, welcome to Work and Life. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled. Well, uh, let me tell listeners just a bit about you before we, we jump into our conversation. Sadal Neely is the Naylor Fitzhugh Professor of Business Administration at the Harvard Business School. I have to say that you are the second Naylor Fitzhugh Professor of Business Administration at the Harvard Business School that has appeared on this show. Ooh. The first, of course, being the great David Thomas, who yes. is now the president of Morehouse College. Sadal regularly advises top leaders who are embarking on virtual work and large-scale change that involves global expansion, digital transformation, and becoming more agile. Her previous book, The Language of Global Success, How a Common Tongue Transforms Multinational Organizations, chronicles the behind-the-scenes globalization process of a company over the course of five years. She's also published extensively in leading scholarly and practitioner-oriented outlets, and her work has been widely covered in media outlets, the BBC, CNN, Financial Times. I could go on. Her HBS case, Managing a Global Team, Greg James at Sun Microsystems, is one of the most used cases worldwide on the subject of virtual work. She is the leading expert on this topic, and I'm so thrilled to have her here. She, let me also just mention that Sadal has been the recipient of the prestigious Charles M. Williams Award for Outstanding Teaching and Executive Education and the Green Hill Award for Outstanding Contributions to Harvard Business School. She serves on the board of directions of, of Bright Cove, Ground Capital Management, Harvard Business Publishing. I think she's kind of my boss in a way, since I have a few books from them. <laughs> so there's there's some aspects of my deal with Harvard Business Publishing that perhaps we can address near the end of this conversation. <laughs> and the Partnership, Inc. So, Dal, it's really great to have you here. Thanks wow, for being here. Wow, wow. Thank you so much. Uh, that intro was way, way too long, Stu. I can't wait to talk to you. All right. let's. You're, uh, it wasn't because it's, it's, uh, it's important uh, for people to know who you are. Uh, mm. Your book is, is powerful, practical, and incredibly relevant. And it begins with a dedication to some people who I don't know, but mm. you, you first do, uh, to, to these people who I won't, whose names I won't mention, you can, to a world without borders. Yes. Yes. What, what did you mean by that? And how is a world oh. without borders uh, a better world? 
So may I read it? Uh, I love this dedication Mm -hmm. because it embodies every single thing I want for these three people and everyone else. It's to Lawrence, Gabe, and Daniel. May your worlds always be without borders. Mm -hmm. This would be my husband and my two young sons. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, my deepest hope is that we crush and break down every single wall that doesn't allow us to lead the purposeful, the purposeful lives that we all so desire. Mm-hmm. And so walls can be real walls, but they can be metaphorical walls. And uh, I, this dedication uh, is very right for me in terms of using this uh, metaphor of walls because the remote work revolution is very much about that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's replacing our beliefs around physical spaces and physical proximity uh, uh, to be able to develop uh, connections and to thrive in the absence of uh, these physical walls mm-hmm. and proximity. I just want to briefly read the questions that are the chapter titles of the eight chapters of this book, just to give readers a sense of the questions that you address. And then we're going to get into a couple of them. We, we can't cover it all here. Um, but I, I think it's important to know what these questions are. How can we how can we relaunch to thrive in remote work? We are going to talk about launching and relaunching. Uh, and the work of the great Richard Hackman, one of my mentors, the, my, the first organizational behavior course I took at the University of Michigan in the fall of 1980 was taught by Richard Hackman. More on Richard. We could spend the whole time talking about Richard, but we're not going to. Second chapter, how can I trust colleagues I barely see in person? Trust. We are going to talk about that. We have to because it's such an essential aspect of what it means to be working remotely effectively without physical presence. Third, can my team really be productive remotely? Fourth, how should I use digital tools in remote work? Uh, the answer to which I'm sure is changing you know, almost every week, but there are some principles to know and to follow. Chapter five, how can my agile team operate remotely? Six, how can my global team succeed across differences, the many differences that divide us? What do we do to make sure that those differences are capitalized on and don't create division in ways that create hostility, ineffectiveness, and indeed violence? Seven, what do I really need to know about leading virtually? Most people listening to this show right now want an answer to that. We'll maybe get to that. Uh, and eight, I don't know how we're going to deal with this one, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's perhaps the most important question that you raise. How do I prepare my team for global crises? Because they're not over. Uh, and there's an action guide that accompanies uh, all this. So um, pardon me for that readout, but I, I wanted to give a, a, an overview. Remote work has has been on the horizon. It's been emergent for some time, but the pandemic, of course, has just transformed everything and more than accelerated. It has completely upended um, everything about remote work uh, and the move to hybrid forms of some kind for most people, some people, perhaps some you know, know people, depending on what sector of the world you live in or the, the economy. But before we get into how the pandemic has changed everything, which we will get into, let's start with some basics. What are the upsides to remote work? There's so many upsides to remote work. And in fact, I hear them all the time. People say things like commute that I used to have, long commutes have disappeared, which Mm -hmm. has completely rebalanced uh, my work and home life. And the thing about commutes, it's not just the time that we take to commute, but it's also the stressors of getting to places, the anxiety. Remote work has also reduced uh, the actual physical travel that people take. Um, Remote work has, in a sense, democratized 
access to leaders, which is incredibly important because leaders who used to travel in order to see people now are in Zoom places, in Zoom rooms, and everyone has uh, similar access, which is uh, an important update, but we need to manage those uh, thoughtfully. Productivity goes up with remote work, not down. And I'm sure many people listening here can relate to that. The time saving, the focus, the lack of distraction, the increased job satisfaction, so many reasons that productivity increases. The other thing is it's, there's it erases cross-border collaboration uh, challenges when we're able to engage with one another uh, digitally. And then lastly, what you know what we've noticed, uh, Stu, in most of our faculty meetings, attendance has gone way, way up. It's actually extraordinary to see it. So these are some pros uh, that I'm uh, sharing. Uh, But uh, of course, uh, remote work is not a panacea. There will be some cons. But these are the things that have been uh, documented Mm -hmm. and I've heard about so much in Mm -hmm. the last year. Well, especially in the last year, but even prior to this last year, although some of the things that you mentioned have because because we are now because so many of the people that that we interact with you and I and, and that many listeners, um, you know, experience um, in terms of their interactions with 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 work colleagues involve, you know, what changes that have occurred in this past year, such as a, a greater uh, democratization of uh, of access, a flattening, perhaps of the. Uh, the distance, the hierarchical distance uh, between people at different levels. Um, what are the downsides? And then I want to uh, talk more about what has uh, been the most pronounced aspects of the changes in this last year. But just about remote work generally, what are some of the things that you ha- know to be um, challenges or downsides of working remotely? The other side of the the other side of the coin uh, of getting time back from these commutes has been the blurring between work life and non work lives, and uh, one of the things that uh, we've observed a great deal uh, in the last year is people are working on average six point eight hours longer per week. That's almost seven hours. That's almost a full day, which increases productivity, but also increases stress and decreases well-being. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to recalibrate there, but that's a, a downside. Another downside is uh, the detrimental but very natural aspect of uh, remote and virtual work, which is uh, this mutual knowledge problem. We don't, ha- we don't have access to people's contexts uh, when we're engaging them, when we're working with them. Here's an example. Mm-hmm. Someone Someone sends out an email, expects a response within a day. Someone, uh, the the person sending out the email deems it to be important, Mm -hmm. but yet doesn't get a response uh, from uh, the couple of people for, um, you know, five hours, eight hours, a day, two days. What goes through their heads? Oh, being ignored, unimportant, what's going on? Um, Lazy, uh, not doing work, probably hanging out with their kids, making like breakfast and such. Perhaps also not a big priority for them. But the reality could be that email landed in the spam folder. So you can't just walk uh, by your colleagues uh, uh, offices to say, hey, did you get my email? So Mm -hmm. this mutual knowledge problem is a big problem and it can lead this notion of being out of sight, being out of sync, being Mm -hmm. out of touch, Mm -hmm. which can uh, affect uh, relationships. All right. So those are those are two huge problems. Let me remind listeners, this is Work and Life on Business Radio. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. My guest today is Harvard Business School professor Sadal Neely. And we're talking about her great new book, Remote Work Revolution, Succeeding from Anywhere. All right. So you've got the blurring of, of boundaries uh, when people are working at home, uh, which has led in this last year to a huge increase in the amount of hours people are spending working. Uh, you've got the mutual knowledge problem. I don't know your context. You don't know mine. What else? 
professional isolation, personal mm-hmm. isolation, mm-hmm. Uh, the the inability to uh, have these serendipitous encounters or informal contact, as you know, that are so important for our professional accomplishments, right? The way in which we achieve goals, it's really important for us to, to have the informal. And uh, when, when we're in a distributed work context, that's not available. Mm-hmm. Other things include... Um, uh, customer work, uh, that it's more difficult to have in-person meetings when you're in the sales cycle. So you have to be incredibly creative and learn some new ways of engaging. We can't wine and dine our customers, our clients, our other stakeholders who are external to our organization. And I'm going to give you one last one, mm-hmm. Stu. FOMO. Fear of missing out. Mm-hmm. People uh, psychologically worry, and this has been true for the yesteryear remote worker. You know, pr- before the pandemic, when we talked about remote workers, we used to talk about the people who are numerical minorities, the few people who worked from home or worked mm-hmm. in another country. Now we're all remote workers and virtual workers. Today, maybe we go in and out. Uh, Uh, Maybe it's not full on, but this thing about fear of missing out is the idea that you think stuff is happening without you uh, uh, involved. And so this is an important topic uh, to think about, to talk about, to figure out, because I think it's going to be one of the vexing issues of future hybrid models. Why? What's the what's the risk in FOMO? The risk and FOMO is people feeling like they're not included. It's an inclusion issue. It's a belonging inclusion issue. So let me paint the scenario. Suppose you as a manager hold a meeting and you have three people in the room with you because they choose to go in maybe for that day or they want to work uh, in the office more often. And you have two or three other colleagues who are virtual. So they're dialing into that meeting. And they're there for the 60 minutes, the minute the, the meeting uh, might uh, the kind of the the um, uh, the time span for the meeting. They're but just phoning it in, though, right? They're not really here. It's not that they're phoning in, but it's like the before meeting chatter, the in between meeting uh-huh. uh, uh, chatter. It's the access to the leader. It's the access. So people think that stuff is happening, but they're just coming in for this bounded time, they uh, hit leave on their uh, video conferencing tool and what's happening without them. That's fear of missing out. What's happening is that they're talking about you. (laughs) Stu, (laughs) you know, you know, they're talking about you and they're probably not saying, you know, very flattering things. So Potentially, but you know what? I'm they, being could silly. Also, they could also uh, do, be doing some social lubrication, right? The, uh-huh. the, the small talk, the persuasion on this point or that point. That, those are the things that people worry about. But yeah. managers have to make sure that that doesn't happen. Right. Managers have to be very good at leading, you know, in this new world. Yes. And that's, that's what I want to get into. Uh, so this is this is a great outline of some of the upsides and the downsides of our uh, remote world that we've been learning that you've been learning about from your research and that we've all been you know experiencing, especially this last year, as so many people are now working remotely compared to in the past. Um, so, what are the main lessons that? that we have learned uh, about remote work this last year in terms of how to maximize, you know, and really optimize uh, on, on the, the many benefits uh, of this new world of work and how to deal with the downsides. I mean, that's really what your book is about. What, what, what would you say is like the headlines of what we have learned and what you describe in your book. It's interesting because I don't think we have finished the learning. I think we are mm-hmm. learning. Um, and the time of uh, the publication of this book 
um, uh, in my mind was the right time because we've been at it for about a year and many people have been surviving or just, uh, you know, selecting digital tools in a kind of ad hoc way, uh, mm-hmm. trying to make it work, so scheduling meetings edge to edge, uh, which is not the great thing to do. So, so in my mind, we're still learning. Uh, But I can tell you what we're learning is that we need to learn more about how to avoid tech exhaustion, for example. Mm -hmm. Our usage of digital tools need to be much more systematic Mm -hmm. uh, so that they're both inclusive, but also they're for the purpose of work and not just communication. The one one of the things that I what's the difference? What do you mean? A huge difference. If we think of, uh, you know, uh, I sometimes I try not to name uh, these various tools uh, because, you know, whose tool is it is irrelevant, but I'm thinking video conferencing. I'm thinking enterprise-wide social media tools. I'm thinking about email. All of those tools are for the purpose of working. They're not just for communication, me conveying something to a recipient. No, they're also for the purpose of work. If we think of them in that way, then we make different decisions about the tools that we use. What would so it let mean? Me, yeah. Yes, about just please elaborate. What, what would it mean to think of them as tools for work as opposed to tools for communicating? Okay, so um, suppose you wanted to have your unit, your business unit, Process complex information in order to make some decisions, to have some meetings, to to develop a, a, a change path. What you don't want to do is call a meeting and describe this complex information in a live meeting. What you want to do is use work tools that are both asynchronous. And lean, like email, like a Google Doc, for mm-hmm. people to sit with the work asynchronously in order to absorb it. So that Asynchronously, at, at different times, not all at the same time. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Asynchronously, at different times, on their own, not live, uh, so that they can prepare for whatever's next in the work. The idea that we need to be speaking live, and this is what tech exhaustion is about, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, this, this uh, uh, perception that having video calls is the way to, uh, to go uh, is not right. In fact, you need to think about uh, a couple of things. Here are the dimensions. We've touched on one. Synchronous versus asynchronous, meaning real-time versus delayed, mm-hmm. something uh, that uh, you can look at later. So uh, a synchronous uh, tool is a text message uh, versus asynchronous Uh, which is, we talked about it, email. The second dimension that's important to understand is lean versus rich media. And lean means uh, Google email doesn't convey context, doesn't convey emotionality, doesn't convey place. It's text that conveys some message for you to consume. On the rich side, you have video and uh, other collaborative tools where emotions and context and place are conveyed. If, if we think about those two by two, we can actually map out mm-hmm. what are the appropriate tools to use for what type of work, whether it's simple information exchange, whether it's collaboration, whether it's selecting team members, new team members, we can determine uh, uh, what to use. But there's more. There's more, if I may. In this example, what you're pointing to is just being more conscious and deliberate about your choice of medium. Uh, and and also about the timing of when people ought to be together uh, in in communicating with each other, um, and it's it's easy to assume that you've got the right medium and not realize that the the you know the timing and the medium you've chosen is is actually ineffective and wasteful. Uh, so how? Um, how does the the launch and relaunch process, which you describe in the in the first chapter and which which builds on uh, some of the essential features of Hackman's model, yes. how does it um, how does it help to deal with the problems that you've identified? You know, launch and relaunch 
if there's one thing to take away and to try to apply very quickly, it's a launch or a relaunch and likely a relaunch for most people. You mentioned Richard Hackman, who is a late pioneering sociologist. Harvard University was the last place he was, uh, but I know you encountered him much earlier uh, in your career. Um, and uh, he is, you can think of him as the father, the grandfather of everything related to teams and groups. Any of us who write about group work, whether it's remote or not, draw from his, his experience. And what he established, unequivocally so, is the fact that uh, there are three things to understand for success factors for groups. Uh, the 60-30-10 rule. 60-30-10 rule. 60% for your success is all around uh, who's in the team, team design, team composition. Do you have the right people? Uh, which uh, is not surprising. 30% is how you launch your team, meaning you sit down with your team once you uh, uh, have assembled the team and you talk about and agree upon your shared goals, your shared norms. Stu, this is what you are heading towards. Uh, a launch and relaunch establishes these shared norms. How are we going to use digital tools in order to do our work effectively? It's fully and explicitly discussed. What are our resources available to us? What are our constraints, including the constraints that individuals may have uh, you know, this past year, we've all experienced, especially those of us with small children, uh, remote teaching and remote learning. And that has to weigh into some of our constraints that we need to be explicit about with our group and teams. And then finally, uh, psychological safety. How do we ensure that we can communicate without anyone ever feeling like they can't speak up, that they might be penalized, or they, uh, we don't want to hear from folks. And so I just described the launch. The relaunch looks exactly the same. It's you going back and revisiting the areas that I just described. And okay. We're going to do, do that uh, when we come back, uh, focus on what it means to relaunch. We just have to take a, a quick break here. So... Uh, don't go away. When we come back, I'm going to be continuing my conversation with Sadal Neely about her book, Remote Work Revolution, Succeeding from Anywhere. I'm Stu Friedman. This is Work and Life on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. Stay with us. We will be right back. You're listening to Work and Life on Business Radio. Welcome back to work and life. I'm really glad you're here. I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I run a management consulting and training company. It's called Total Leadership. You go to totalleadership.org, find out about how we help individuals and organizations find harmony and produce better value across all the different parts of their lives. My guest today is Sadal Neely, who is the Naylor Fitzhugh Professor of Business Administration at the Harvard Business School. We're talking about her just published book. So timely, so relevant, so helpful. It's called Remote Work Revolution, Succeeding from Anywhere. All right, Sadal, we were talking about uh, one of the main, main insights from Hackman's work on teams. I, I tell him, tell my students that he's the Einstein of teams uh, when I assign my uh, his book, Leading Teams, in my team's class at the Wharton School. Oh my God, they, I love that. I love that so much. They say, I, well, why are, we reading this, why are we reading this book from 20 yeah. years ago? I said, the reason we're oh. reading this book from 20 years ago is because there's no other book that's as good as this book and in explaining really everything you need to know about work teams. Uh, and he is the Einstein of teams. And it's not just because he was my master's thesis advisor, and I have great admiration for him personally. I was just really lucky to have him in my world at that time uh, and beyond. And yeah, uh, his work is really important, and the book is Leading Teams. Uh, so 60-30-10, more than half of, of, of the success of a team is determined by what happens before it even exists in the design and composition. Uh, then there's the launch, 
where a shared sense of who we are and where we're going together and how we're going to get there has to be established and reestablished and reestablished. And then there's the 10%. What's that 10% about? Believe it or not, that 10% is what happens when we are in our collaboration uh, uh, work experience. In Mm -hmm. other words, 10% is when we're together, when we're uh, collaborating, when we're negotiating, when we're discussing 10%. And we usually spend more time worrying about that 10% than the rest of the success factors. And with remote teams or Mm -hmm. distributed teams, Mm -hmm. you must do the relaunch because you go out of alignment very regularly. You know, mm-hmm. Stu, I talk about this kind of like date date night. You 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 it's it's like okay. a way, yes, because it's a way of maintaining your relationship and how we're going to make it work on a regular basis. You don't talk about certain things in a relationship once and you're done. Maybe some of you do, but you've got to talk about them uh, constantly. The more differences you have, the more boundaries that you have to cross to work together, whether it's time zone, whether it's uh, functional, et cetera, the more you have to do the relaunches. Relaunches So that date night analogy, I'm sorry, please, uh, please finish that thought. I was just going to say relaunches are magical. Hmm. Like a date night can be. That's a great analogy. You've definitely got a lot of people's attention when you start talking about date nights. <laughs> um, but you know, it's, it is a perfect analogy. You, you've got to have a, a regular pattern uh, of like, who are we again? What are we doing here? <laughs> what, how can we make this even better going forward? What do we need to adjust? Uh, so what, what's the essence of what makes a relaunch happen? I, I, I want to your best wisdom on that. But just uh, first, I want to underscore what is such a huge uh, idea from Hackman, and that is very little of what ultimately matters depends on the micro interactions of people after the fact of all the important work that must get done before the team even launches. And then when they launch, design is the real driver, the more, much more powerful driver. And it's something that most people just don't think about. And that's the great aha uh, that I find with my students and clients when they, when they learn about hack, when they learn and they read his book, they realize, Oh, wow. I got to spend a lot more time thinking about our direction (laughs) and making sure that everybody understands it and a lot more time on our norms and, and, and make sure we all have agreement on what those are and why they matter and how we need to be oriented toward the environment, not just, you know, figuring out what we need to do internally here, but to really be externally focused so that we can adjust to the world around us and et cetera, et cetera. It, you know, th- these are really big ideas and even more important in the virtual world. Am I right? So, so, so important in the virtual world. Why? And in fact, what we, what we learn is the, the frequency of the relaunches making sure that uh, everyone is on the same page is incredibly important because our sense of our team and the boundaries around our group are fragile Mm. because we're not co-located. We're not in the same space. We can't cultivate and nourish our emotional and cognitive connections as much as we need to. So mm-hmm. it is through these conversations that uh, we, we uh, realign. But there's also one more thing. Mm-hmm. The world is dynamic. Things change. Our goals may not feel clear to us anymore. Uh, customers change. Industries change. And the team has to mobilize and ensure that they're working together well to address all of those changes that mm-hmm. uh, are constant. So in, in the 10%, what, the, the, the stuff that most people worry about, and when, and when they enter my, my team's class, they think that we're going to be spending you know, 90% of the course on that 10% when it turns out we're, we're doing the opposite. Uh, and, and afterwards, they're like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. That makes sense. Um, you know, the trajectory is established before people even get to talk to each other. But the relaunch is, is such an, as, an important aspect of what it means to be continually learning and adjusting. What do people need to know about how to how to do that in a way that yeah. works? 
It's not as scary as it sounds, by the way. Think 90-minute, two-hour meeting where you and and I outline this in in a, a ton of detail in the book and in the back in the action guide, yep. you actually have the questions that you need to cover with your team uh, around, let's talk about our goals uh, and make sure that it's shared. By the way, uh, people think that because they articulate a goal that it's immediately shared. No, goals have to be socialized. You need to make sure that everyone gets it and mm-hmm. buys in mm-hmm. uh, and and, uh, are ready to be committed to those goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you talk about your shared norms, shared, another uh, word that's really important. How should we work together? By the way, when we're in a globally distributed context, shared norms are incredibly important to explicitly discuss because there are geographical and cultural preferences on digital tools. Some some of us in the U.S. may love and uh, lean towards certain tools, not true all over the world. So you need to extract that information from all members of your work group to come up with a nice compromise that enables everyone to engage one another. It sounds like a lot of work, I don't know. I don't have time for that. Two hours will save you 20 weeks worth of trying to figure out what went wrong. Mm, Two hours. This is an investment. It's an investment we have to make in how we're going to operate. But you must find people resisting this in the way that I was just mockingly trying to illustrate. No, no, I don't find people resisting it. I find people not knowing about it, Uh, which is why when you talk about the discovery in your class, this is it. When people discover this and discover how easy it is to do and how important it is to do it frequently mm-hmm. in a remote team, mm-hmm. they establish a pattern. And I've been uh, really thrilled to see so many teams be very successful with their relaunches. And I'm so glad we're sitting on this topic today, mm-hmm. because if there's one thing to uh, apply easily, it's it's a relaunch. And might I add one more thing? Please. In, in addition to uh, what I discussed in terms of what you need to do in a relaunch, it's a fabulous opportunity to do a leadership reset as well. What does that mean? If you feel like you're not present enough, if you feel like you're not connecting with your team well, if you feel um, uh, like you've made a, a mistake, uh, I told you all that we were going to do X, it looks like we need to do Y. Whatever it may be, you get an opportunity to reset whatever you need to set reset uh, from a leadership standpoint. Mm-hmm. And Um, And it doesn't seem like a big major event because Mm -hmm. every six to eight weeks you get to do this and teams are used to you being very human, being very real. So Mm -hmm. it's a good time and a good place to do some leadership resetting as well. We remind listeners, this is Work and Life on Business Radio at Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Stu Friedman. And I'm speaking with Harvard Business School professor Sadal Neely about her important new book. It's called Remote Work Revolution, Succeeding from Anywhere, which I think we're doing just me and you right here uh, virtually. uh, Normally in in the pre times, you'd be in our wonderful studio uh, at the Wharton School and we'd be we'd be talking across a desk. And uh, we'd go out for dinner after the show and it'd be a lot of fun. But here we are doing the best we can. Um, and I'm, I'm very glad to have you here speaking about this important work. Let's, I want to go back to psychological safety, which you mentioned. Um, how, what do we need to know about um, creating an environment, a social environment that is psychologically safe for our colleagues uh, when operating in a virtual environment? You know, Psychological safety is defined as to create an environment where it's a learning environment rather than a performance-driven environment, and that people should be free to speak up, to make mistakes without uh, it being uh, catastrophic, and to learn from those mistakes 
and to be able to freely share their insights, their thoughts, their comments, even if they think it's disappointing to others. Mm. When you're in a virtual environment, particularly if you feel or perceive yourself as being of lower status, meaning Mm. I am a junior person, I'm just learning here, uh, and so I will just tend to be more quiet uh, and let others speak, even though I might be the most skilled person Mm -hmm. in this conversation. Mm -hmm. Similarly, in remote environments, which is a a, a kind of an an intensified version of real life, uh, certain groups tend to dominate other groups in terms of airtime. Mm-hmm. And it becomes really important for leaders to manage conversations uh, where they're helping some people dial down, helping some people dial up, mm-hmm. no matter the boundaries or the issues that keeps people from uh, retreating and not speaking up and practicing inclusive uh, conversations during meetings. And psychological safety is a big part of that. And we have to be explicit in uh, not only modeling the behaviors that we desire Mm -hmm. uh, and the conditions that we want to set, but also talking about it as a group. Uh, And once you talk about it and it becomes a norm, then, of course, you have to reinforce it and demonstrate it and draw people in and praise and uh, thank people uh, when they bring uh, bad news, uh, which is part of it. And by the way, back to Richard Hackman. Uh, I love you saying he's the Einstein of groups. I uh, uh, want your permission to use that. You can use uh, that. <laughs> okay, thank you, Stu. I love that so much. It's, yeah, it's, 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 and, yeah. and the person who conceptualized psychological safety is my good friend and colleague, Amy Edmondson, who is Richard Hackman's student. I, Do you I, see? I, all road leads us. Well, we're, that, uh, we're all we're in a connected world. Yes. Uh, Amy's a good friend of mine. She's been on the show here and uh, we are we are both uh, Hackman students and we were both at the celebration of his life and work at Harvard Business School back in 2012, uh, which is, I think, the first time I, I talked to Amy about our mutual admiration for him. That was a great event. Maybe we'll do a special on his work at some point. Uh, in the not too distant future, but back to what you are bringing us here. Um, last thought on on psychological safety to what you were saying is, um, I find that the easiest way to produce it is to, as a, a person in um, in a higher uh, social status, is to simply ask, "What am I missing? What what have I got wrong?" Uh, and to ins- insist that people, t- you know, respond to that uh, by, you know, repeating with curiosity, uh, you know, here's what I see, but I'm sure I don't have the whole picture and you've got other parts of it. So tell me, what is it that I'm missing? What what have I not gotten right here? Um, that that's that's a way to encourage on a regular basis people to tell you that you're, you know, wrong <laughs> or yeah. that we've got something to tell you that you might not want to hear. We've only got a few minutes left here, unfortunately, because there's so much more I want to discuss with you. Uh, but let me let me turn to the question of of boundaries between work and life, because that is such a well, it's you know it's the raison d'etre for this show. Um, what's the main thing that you've learned about how to maintain and and well cultivate and and to maintain and adjust uh, boundaries that work for one's work and and the rest of one's life when you are living at work, working from home? Mm, three words, discipline, discipline, discipline. Okay, that's one word, but okay. <laughs> that's not how we count here at Harvard. Oh, okay, friend. well. <laughs> so, so discipline, listen, yeah. uh, we have to start work at the same time. We have to end work at the same time. Mm-hmm. And what we do throughout the day and how we cut up the day is up to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one way of doing it. For mm-hmm. some of us uh, who are writers and other things, we cut up the day in different ways and the boundaries for us is quite different. Uh, but you have to uh, be sure to identify what works for you, what works mm-hmm. for your family, and you stick to it. 
Mm. And as leaders, we need to make sure that we model what we want to see. So if you're sending emails at 7 p.m., 8 p.m., 9 p.m., you need to make sure that you say, when we are back in action, Mm. uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts tomorrow so that you're not setting expectations that you want responses quick. Uh, So just because we're emailing uh, at at all times, weekends, evenings, doesn't mean we want people to uh, engage. Mm -hmm. Uh, It does create kind of a psychological, uh, it takes psychological real estate when people see those emails, because you know, many people do. Uh, So another thing to be able to do is to use technology. Uh, schedule your email to show up at uh, 8 a.m., 9 a.m. Uh, Delay it. Work hour. You can do that. You can do yeah. that. Yeah. So if you, if you choose to want to work on Saturday afternoon, that should be your choice. Just don't uh, impose the same uh, expectation on people around you by sending the message at that hour. That's one way to manage uh, the, the, the expectations of you know, giving people time on the weekend, for example, right? Yes, yes. Uh, One of the phenomenons, however, that I've been quite worried about in this last year, because it's a recurrent theme that I'm uh, seeing, is that because of our economic situation, because of our global pandemic situation, uh, people feel a sense of job insecurity. Mm. There's a slight worry uh, about jobs, which is driving them to work more, Mm. to do more, to to, to kind of... um, Uh, get into the life side when it comes to the work side. Mm -hmm. So to the best of our abilities as leaders, we must make sure that we are sending the right messages wherever we can Mm -hmm. so that people are not working uh, to exhaustion because of fear. We -hmm. don't want that. There's no, there's no um, future in that. And so that's uh, one of the things that we can do to help people overall. But uh, the, the, the boundaries between work and life blurring is creating such exhaustion right now uh, that, um, uh, um, that it's creating uh, even turnover. Another group I'm worried about are millennials, uh, people in their late 20s, early 30s, who are not only professionally isolated, they're working too much, too long, too hard. Um, and um, mental health issues, well-being mm-hmm. is becoming a problem. Yes. So when you say discipline, you mean discipline about stopping? Discipline about starting and stopping uh, in ways that uh, are balanced for your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no such thing as balanced for everyone's life. So if you want to uh, start working at 6 a.m. and then you go until uh, 8, uh, you know, g- get the kids off to school and then come back at 9.15, 9.30 and then go. I mean, you can cut up the day in ways that make sense to you, uh, but find ways to be disciplined. And then the other thing that I'll add is incorporating movement. Uh, We are not moving the way that we did. I don't know about you, Stu, but I I mean, when I teach one class, I would Mm -hmm. cover like a mile, a mile and a half. I can't I can't stand still. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the amount of movement that we've lost uh, to me, the remote work revolution has to be connected to our fitness revolution that's homebound so that we're healthy and you have to kind of build that in to your work and non-work life, whatever that is for you. It could be taking a walk. It could be something more than that Mm -hmm. Peloton, whatever, whatever you like to do, but build that in because no one else will do it for you. So what in just the the couple minutes we have left here, what's the the big thing that you've been thinking about and working on uh, with respect to where we go from here in terms of the, the future of our work lives and, and how they're going to be taking shape uh, in, in the weeks, months, years to come? I have been thinking about this hybrid model, what it can look like, how to make sure that everyone has access 
to the virtuality or the uh, home uh, work that they want, and mm-hmm. that organizations construct policies, put in place systems that are not based on their fears, but based on their needs. Mm-hmm. Ne- needs being what are our critical tasks? You know, what did we need to make sure we do really well? And what's the optimal level of fluidity that we can bear for our organization? Mm-hmm. Because the data and the numbers are staggering on in favor of people, employees who have been surveyed across multiple surveys, up to 87% are saying they want to retain some form of remote work and 27 to 30% want to keep it full time. Mm. Now, organizations have to go through the discomfort to create the workforce that they want and upskill people, the competencies around remote work, the competencies around digital mindsets, and consider if the organization is large, uh, bringing in some chief remote officer talent to your C-suite. This is a serious transformation we're going through, and we need to do it right without fear, but based on need. Chief remote officer. That's the first time I've heard that phrase. Does anybody have one? Yes. Um, Yes. Uh, They may call them different things. So Uh Twitter has someone who's who's responsible for this work. So, yes, uh, organizations, uh, particularly larger organizations, Mm are taking this seriously. And I'll tell you this, I know we're uh, coming to a close. Tech companies who have had remote work since the 1990s, who are comfortable with remote work, are going full on 100% uh, option for their employees, come in and go as you wish. uh, And we know we can make it. It's uh, tougher if you're working at at Walmart, though, right? Uh, And that's absolutely. Absolutely. uh, So uh, or you're a truck driver uh, or working on a manufacturing line. But uh, unfortunately, that's that's not something we have time now to get into. I hope you'll come back and we can talk more about this. Sadal Neely, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. How can listeners find out more about your work in addition to reading your book, Remote Work Revolution? I am very easy to find. If you can spell my name, oh. uh, Sadal, uh, my, my Twitter handle is at Sadal. My website is Sadal.com. LinkedIn is Sadal. Uh, that name is finally paying off because it's easy to find. But I am <laughs> so thrilled to have had this chance to talk to you, Stu. Oh, it's what, a, what a thrill. What a thrill. Thank well, you. Well, um, it's T-S-E-D-A-L is, by right. the, is, is how you spell uh, Sadal Neely's name. Really appreciate your time today, and uh, thank you for listening. Don't forget to tune in next week at 5 p.m. Eastern. If you have a question about something you heard on the show today, you can just email me. I'm friedman at wharton.upenn.edu. You can email our station, Business Radio, at SiriusXM.com, and follow on Twitter at SXM Business. I am at Stu Friedman, and you can find edited versions of these shows as free podcasts a little while down the road at TotalLeadership.org, where there's also all kinds of free resources, videos, book chapters, articles, all kinds of stuff about how we help people create harmony and better performance in all parts of life. Thanks, Patty Hall. And thank you again for listening to Work and Life on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132.